Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. Andrew. Yes? Knock, knock. Oh, crap. Who's there? It's me, Josh, the host of the Tabletop Submarine Podcast, and you're my co-host, right? Yeah. I have no joke. I just wanted to throw you off and get you ready for something. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> hey, old listeners. Welcome to the episode of the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josh. With me is my number one co-host. And I'm Andrew. And today we have Rita Orloff of uh, Post Curious. Um, so happy to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Rita, I wanted to have you on the show for a couple reasons. When I was at PAX Unplugged this last December, I was able to stop by the Post Curious booth. And long story short, I was thoroughly impressed with your guys' products. I mean, the Emerald Flame that was like posted on the board you had there immediately captured not only my eye, but my wife's eye. And my wife is a lot more picky when it comes to board games, but she was like, oh my gosh, I need to get this game. Sadly, you were out. We didn't get there fast enough. But she was thoroughly impressed with the visuals, and I just felt like, no, this booth is doing something different in gaming. You guys gave me your pitch. I asked for like the cards so I could reach out to my game store so they could probably get some more. But it's like, you know, I really want to have the designer of these games on. And you were running the publishing company, so I was like, I'm just going to reach out and ask if she wants to be on. And now we're here and you're on. So, so really, you're doing a great job. So for people who don't know, what is Post Curious? What's your guys' whole shtick? Yeah, so Post Curious uh, is a independent publisher that makes uh, narrative tabletop puzzle games. So what that means is basically something that combines an escape room, interactive fiction, and tabletop game. I guess we'll get into that when we talk more about it during the dive, so I'm not going to spoil that much. But when you guys are like create your booths, what do you... Because this is why I, I wanted to have you on. When you create your booths at like conventions, what are you trying to portray or give out to the people who are passing by? So this was actually my first time having a booth. Uh, so okay. it was a total, uh, you know, trying to put something together uh, that looked good, I guess. But one thing I really try to do in my games is have nice artwork. And I think that's something that is pretty eye-catching about them. And so mainly I tried to figure out a way to make that visible to people um, as they're passing by. And I guess it worked for your wife. So <laughs> It did. It really did. Andrew, did you get a chance to see this booth at uh, PAX? I did see it. Uh, every time I walked by, it was busy. So that's a good sign. Yeah, I mean, I was really happy with how things went. I think having a presence for the first time, there were... A lot of people who had no idea what it was um so it was really fun to actually like kind of expose it to a wider audience was tabletop always your thing or was put like have you been in the tabletop industry for a long time or just something new you started like what was kind of the before before you like maybe like post curious yeah i started in escape rooms actually so that was how i got into designing puzzles and after I no longer worked at an escape room, I decided to start making tabletop puzzle games because that was something I could kind of do on the side. And I had uh, one friend who I was 
very lucky to have introduced me to a lot of like the modern board games and that was sort of how I found my way into that. It's really funny. A couple weeks ago we actually had a gentleman from the Netherlands named Martin van Rosemond and he was an escape room designer as well and I find the discussion around escape room design absolutely fascinating. So here's a question for you. What do you think is more difficult escape room design or board game design well i've never designed a traditional board game so it's kind of hard for me to answer that if i were to answer the difference between designing an escape room board game and an escape room i think escape room would definitely be harder because you're dealing with a lot of physical sets um and you really want to give people like big reveals and something like really well I mean, either way, I guess I would want to give people something memorable. But I think when you're going to a place in person with a group of people and you have to, you know, build out a set that costs probably like a couple hundred thousand dollars, um, that's definitely a lot more challenging than like putting something together that's probably mostly made of paper. And how has that mindset translated to your games? Like, how have you translated that reveal stuff, everything you've just talked about to know the different games that post curious is producing so my background is actually in art and in object design so that's yeah. something that is that's something that really led me into doing this as well is wanting to kind of include some tactile elements in the game and give people fun um, objects to interact with as they're solving puzzles hmm. so that's you know something that's definitely typical of escape rooms um, so just trying to find a way to kind of take the puzzles off the page whenever possible. Well, that is awesome. So we are really excited to have you on and talk to you more about Post Curious and your experience with designing these puzzle games. But let's go ahead. Let's get my instruments going and we'll get into the pre-launch. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guest. Okay, in the pre-launch, we talk about one game we played recently and give our thoughts on it. Andrew, you got a big old game. I want to hear you talk more about this. Uh, this is a game that I really like a lot, and I'm really horrible at. It's one of those games that like, I enjoy the process of, I enjoy the mechanisms of, more than I'm actually good at the game. I recently broke it out again with a friend. Uh, we played Coimbra, and what I like about Coimbra so much is... The tactile element of drafting the dice into your your tableau, I guess, with the understanding of the color of the dice giving you a benefit later. But then also counteracting that with the number on the dice, which is the cost in purchasing the cards from the market. So the higher the number you draft, the more you have to pay. But then you get to go first because um, there's an order of picking the cards from the market based on the high higher number. So you pay more, but you go first. And there's this wonderful back and forth that goes there in the brain. So uh, that's Coimbra. It's a really nice one. I highly recommend checking it out. Rita, what have you been playing lately? One thing I have enjoyed recently was a game called On Circus Grounds by Studio Stamp. And they are a tabletop puzzle mystery game maker from the Netherlands. And this was their first release, but it first came out on Dutch and they recently released it in English. And it was sort of, I would say, like a tabletop mystery that used, had some puzzles in it, but it was a little bit more 
on the sort of narrative deductive side okay. and it had a lot of really beautiful components um that were all you know clearly designed very lovingly and it was just a pleasure kind of going through all of the different ephemera and like finding out the story and figuring out what happened that sounds great I, I love the idea of crafting lovingly. That's wonderful. And I think it's really nice when you can tell the components were made well and made with care. So that's wonderful. Josh, what have you been playing? So I had the opportunity to join the many masses of people on a Friday night in your local game store and play some Magic the Gathering. I am not so much of a Magic player. I do enjoy it, but I'm not, I don't, I'm not, most of my stuff goes towards board games and RPGs. I'll be completely honest. Mm-hmm. But I've been starting to get into magic more recently and decided, you know, what, I want to try Commander for this is more. It was really a design thing. I want to see why people liked this format. For those who don't know, Magic Gathering is a trading card game, really big. It buy packs. It's just legalized gambling for people. You're hoping to get good decks. You're spending thousands of dollars on cards to make these decks and hopefully beat people with it. You know, it's Wizards doing what they do best and monetizing everything. But the game's been around forever, and the most popular format right now is something called Commander, which is a multiplayer format where you have a 100-card deck with no repeats of cards, and then a single card called a Commander, which you use that's usually like a legendary creature or something that you base your entire deck around. Basically, you're building a 100-deck engine trying to feed that card in order for it to do powerful moves and beat everyone else at the table. This is a really interesting form of Commander of Magic, and I think I like it the best as opposed to like two-player dueling magic, things like that. There's a lot more going on. It adds, you know, really... It adds a really lot of thought to how you build your deck and deck construction as a mechanism and to playing into this one commander card. And I think what makes it really good, though, is that there's a social aspect to the game, which I think adds the layer to the magic, uh, Magic the Gathering. Because you're at the table with three other people. You're all trying to be the last one standing, so you're really trying to negotiate charm and kind of work your way through to try to figure out how do I get my other these other players who are way more experienced than me to not attack me and <laughs> stuff like that? How do I get them to hold off until I'm able to activate my chain combos? And it was a great experience. I lost them like the first like 10 moves, but I felt okay because all three of the other players with me with this fourth player lost at the same time because this guy had this uh-huh. insane combo where he just got infinite mana going and going. So I didn't feel too bad, and I got, I got to go home early, which is fine by me, but... It was an absolute fantastic form. Magic is still not my favorite game in the world. I do enjoy it. I understand why a lot of people really love it. But this commander format really set it up a little bit, a couple notches for me as far as how to play and enjoyability of playing it. But that was a Magic the Gathering commander format. Nice. Are you guys much of Magic players? I haven't asked this of you, Andrew. Rita, are you, are you guys Magic players at all, TCG players? No. No, my partner plays it a lot and he's trying to get me into it. So I don't know that 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 might happen, but I it, it seems fun, but I'm not I don't really buy into the whole like collecting aspect of it. It is it is the worst. Like, In I terms people... of like spending a lot of money trying to kind of gamble on cards. I do enjoy deck builders. So I think like in that sense, it's something that I would like that sort of kind of engine building aspect of it. Um, but I think the, I think the collectible part is the issue for me. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Like I, I had a TCG that I was into called flesh and blood, which I still play every now and then, but like I got a sweet deal on getting a bunch of packs. And so I spent like a hundred dollars, maybe a little less getting into it. And as I played more and more, I loved the game, still love the game, but I realized, you know, I got to spend you know, a couple hundred bucks a month just to keep up with everybody. 
And, you know, I still enjoy playing the game, but I'm losing. If I want to get, like, good and actually win, I'm, I had to dump my life savings into this game. And so I was just sitting there opening some packs. And luckily there was a gentleman there who I was opening packs with. He saw a card I pulled out. He's like, let me see that card. It turned out to be a $150 worth card. Like a $150 card. And I sold it for like 100 bucks. And I was like, okay, I, I made my money back. I'm not going to spend any more on this game because I just can't. I can't afford this. I have too many board games and RPGs I want to play. But you know, it's 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 legalized gambling. I see people come in. They're dropping thousands of dollars on magic cards. I'm just like, oh my gosh. This, this is... This is just made up value. This is false value in cardboard. It's just made of the same material. It's I could go on about TCGs, but I'm not going to because we're here to talk about your story, Rita. We want to hear from you. So let's go ahead and my interests are ready to go. Let's head into the dive. Rita, spin us a yarn. Tell us tales of yore. We are ready to hear what you have to share. So I was going to share the story of how Poscurious came about, uh, which I sort of started before when you were um, when we were talking about escape rooms. And um, <clears throat> so this kind of began in 2016. I started designing my first game, The Tale of Ord. Uh, which after reading a lot of blog posts about your first game and everybody saying, keep it simple, uh, I definitely did not do that. And it was basically ended up being like this uh, four chapter sort of epic thing with a lot of complicated components. But at the time, there was really not a lot of tabletop puzzle games out there. So it was... Like there was Exit, I think, and there were there was something called Mysterious Package Company, which is not well. They have some puzzles in some of their games now, but before that, it was really just a sort of immersive narrative experience. Um, so they were quite pricey and usually included a lot of uh, ephemera, which you know is nice if you want to have them as keepsakes. But I think for for me at least living in a you know small new york apartment um <laughs> i did not have the space for like a giant cthulhu statue um but right. <laughs> but they were really but it was really interesting to like see what they did and how they put stories together through a lot of physical artifacts and then um there were there were a couple other things out there that i had played and it was either like so insanely difficult that even like with the hints, I sometimes couldn't figure out what the puzzle was, or mm. it was something that felt kind of a little easy where I could finish it in an hour. And then there was the spectrum of like completely narrative without really any puzzles, and then just puzzles without really much narrative. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> like a lot of, you know, a lot of games sort of follow a theme. Uh, but don't necessarily have a story. So like, oh, we're going into this Egyptian tomb to like find a certain artifact, uh, but you don't really get a sense of like characters or sort of a further backstory beyond like the immediate motivation to find this artifact. Um, so my goal was really to create something that was kind of in the middle of all of these things uh, that had a narrative and 
was challenging for people but not so challenging that at the end you're kind of like i never would have figured this out if you didn't tell me um right because with with difficult puzzles the goal is like even if you don't figure it out when you read the hints you want people's reactions to be like oh okay i get it like okay i i wish i'd gotten that that's really clever as opposed to like what? <laughs> how was I supposed to know how to do that? Ultimately, the game ended up being a little bit more challenging than I actually meant for it to be, but it was, you know, sort of geared toward people who were like really into puzzles. And the sort of genre has grown so much since 2016 or even 2018 when the game was actually released because it took about a year and a half to put it together. Um, and it was kind of an experiment really in like, are people going to like this? Are people going to buy it? Um, and, you know, I didn't have like the capital to make an actual print run. I thought about doing a Kickstarter and I read a bunch of like blog posts and listened to podcasts about it. And everybody was like, oh, running a Kickstarter is like another full-time job. And I was like, well... I have a full-time job and my other full-time job is designing this game. I don't really think I have time for a third one. So let me just try and like kind of make a small batch and see how it goes. Um, so what I ended up doing was making like a limited edition of 500 copies. And I found uh, a couple small communities online that were into these sort of games and pretty much just put it out there and saw, you know, how, how it went. And it took about a year and a half to sell through all of them. Uh, okay. So, you know, ultimately slow success, but, you know, kind of as I was putting those games together, I also started designing a next one. Um, but I got to the point where I was like, there's no way I can keep doing this manually. Like, it's just taking so much time and I want to spend time designing new games and not assembling boxes. So once I was done doing that, because I would basically assemble like a hundred at a time, um, because I mean, my, my apartment was full of supplies for this for <laughs> basically <laughs> an entire year. Well, a year and a half, I guess. Um, and, you know, so I would like assemble kind of a hundred games at a time. And then once I would get low, I would do another batch of a hundred because otherwise it was just, you know, impossible without having like a warehouse or a storage space. Um, right. So, yeah. But once I was done with that, I decided to do a Kickstarter for uh, the next game that I was working on, uh, which is the Emerald Flame. And that is a story about an alchemist that was inspired by a trip to Prague that I took. And it all kind of started with the astronomical clock in Prague, which if you've never seen it, look it up mm -hmm. on Google. It's just a really cool looking clock. And I was like, this should be a puzzle. And yeah. ironically, it didn't end up making it into the game. Um, it did end up making a puzzle postcard, which had uh, an image inspired by the clock on it. But then I basically found out that Prague had this whole like history of alchemy and kind of took a deep dive uh, researching that and putting together the second game. In 2020 was when I was planning on launching it. 
right around April. And we all know what happened in March of 2020. Um, so at that point, I was like, well, uh, everyone's like losing their job. I don't know if they're going to have disposable income to spend on Kickstarter, uh, especially for a game they're not going to see for like another year. Yeah. And let me just, you know, delay this a little bit until things settle down and uh it happened. It ended up being that, you know, around the summer, obviously, you know, we were still very much in the height of COVID, but it seemed like things had kind of settled to the point of like, we actually at least knew what was going on. Uh, whereas mm -hmm. I feel like March and April were just a level of chaos that kind of, you know, nobody could predict what was going to happen. Um, at the time, I also got furloughed from my job because I used to work at a carpet showroom and that was closed. So um, I was basically just sitting at home and it was, I mean, it worked out kind of well for me because I had time to really prepare for the Kickstarter and I ended up launching it in uh, at the end of May, I think. And it went on throughout June and it went like way beyond my expectations. So I ended up being able to actually leave my job uh, and pursue this full time, which I feel incredibly lucky to do. Um, and I still, you know, have like freelance work to kind of supplement it. Um, but that's kind of how, you know, Postcurious really came together is through the Emerald Flame uh, Kickstarter. So I'm very grateful to everybody who put their faith into it. And although it did end up being a good deal delayed, like a lot of other Kickstarters at the time, because, you know, COVID kind of messed up everything, but eventually we did get it to people and now it's out. And after that, I started working on the light in the mist, which is a tarot based puzzle tale. And puzzle tale is a term that my friend came up with that I feel like actually describes these games really well and succinctly. Um, yeah. Although it still probably requires some explanation, but it's a heck of a lot shorter than narrative tabletop puzzle game. So, right. yeah. And I collaborated with Jack Fallows on that, who is an illustrator from the UK that also creates a sort of puzzle story thing called Cryptogram Puzzle Post. Ooh, okay. They are an incredible artist <laughs> that I absolutely loved working with. And we kind of created this really like 50-50 collaboration on it that was me designing the puzzles, them doing the artwork, and both of us writing a story together, which kind of combined our like shared life experiences and it ended up being a coming of age story about a girl that was missing and you're using her tarot cards in order to traverse through her memories and basically with every puzzle that you solve you unlock uh different like vignettes from her life and trying to hmm. figure out where she went that sounds and... so good <laughs> and so we were writing this also like in the height of covid and a lot of it was sort of about like you know, feeling isolated from people and trying to 
like create this sort of empathy like you never really know like what people have been through and or what they're going through um right and so that was like not a typical story that you really see in tabletop games but part of my goal with Postcurious is also and you know <laughs> trying really hard not to sound pretentious when i say this but i do think games can be art and that's kind of my intention is to combine like visual art and narrative art and puzzle art and create something that's kind of holistic and you know have all of the elements kind of reflecting one another and not just feeling like they're all standalone things and crafted with love of course yes of course <laughs> that's the most important thing and i think you really can tell like even with escape rooms there's a handful of escape rooms that i have been to where i was really like oh the people who made this are trying to make art they're not just trying mm -hmm. to make a fun experience but they've also like really clearly put their hearts into it whether it's with the story or even just like with the set or props there's just like an extra kind of je ne sais quoi when you mm -hmm. have that experience and i think you know it can be quite powerful but that's also you know trying to find that is also why it just takes me forever to design any game <laughs> or at least it feels that way <laughs> i think anything that's crafted with love takes extra time so I think it's worthy of baking it a little longer. I think that's good. I agree. I mean, I think I would much rather put something out there that felt complete and that I felt proud of, even if it took much longer, um, rather than putting something out there that, I don't know, I felt like I was going halfway on. That would just make me so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I call that type of production like the... I hate, I hate to bag on because one of my favorite designers. I call it the, the Uwe Rosenberg or the Knizia method where you cop. It's like, I mean, me and Andrew at PAX just played Applejack and it was just fine. But it felt like he felt like the designer took three different things from his other design, stamped it and just sent it out for the paycheck. And it's, it's that's OK. I mean, some people that's how designers make their living. But it's like, you know, it's the same iterations on five things. There's not a lot of heart to it. But with. You know, what I saw at Post Curious with what you've been talking about, like, I'm having an emotional feeling towards these games. Like, I, I don't want to, I want to discover the story behind this. Like, so how do you go about choosing the narratives for, like, when you were talking about the coming of age tale and the light and the mist or the alchemy clock for the Emerald Flame, like, how do you choose where the story will go and how do you really dig into what's going to make people have that emotional attachment to the game? Yeah, honestly, story is something that I struggle with quite a lot and I'm still kind of working on improving like I did a lot of writing uh when I was younger but plot was something that I always had trouble with so I really stuck to like short stories and short plays that have you know that's just like dialogue and it's so hard to like put together not just a story that like feels complete and interwoven into puzzles but also has a satisfying ending and mm -hmm. like especially after you've spent like six hours playing this game and you know you want to kind of feel triumphant and satisfied when you complete it um and i don't know it changes a lot uh throughout the design process i guess 
Like I'll usually start out with some kind of concept and it kind of evolves based on how, like what direction the puzzles go. And there's, you know, a bit of a feedback loop. Um, for The Light in the Mist, we kind of had the constraint of using the cards, which was really good because we wanted to use the major arcana cards to inspire both the puzzles and the story. And so with every card that you solved, the the puzzle had something to do with the meaning of that card. And okay. then the memory that you read afterwards did as well. So for example, the uh, moon card is sort of about transformation and like, seeing something that might be kind of hidden for, from you and like not necessarily like the truth not being apparent right on the surface sure um so the puzzle was about sort of seeing something that wasn't uh exactly clear right away and the story part that followed was a, finding something out about the character that she had kind of been hiding in a transformation that she was going through. So it served as a really good um, kind of way to structure that. And I usually try to use the puzzle ideas that I get for, you know, story inspiration as well. Like in mm -hmm. The Emerald Flame, the main part of the story is you're basically retracing the steps of this alchemist as she's trying to piece together the recipe for this legendary potion and I was making all these puzzles that had to do with kind of figuring out natural objects like uh, what sort of plant you had to use in the potion right and you know trying to kind of frame the story about what she actually was ending up doing with it but it's really told through letters uh, of her writing to her friend as she's finding these ingredients and you know it's sort of her one-sided story but there's also the story of the people who are commissioning you to find this information out by examining her documents so there's kind of that past narrative and the present narrative going on at the same time i don't know if that actually answers your question <laughs> I, I i do I, I think it does for sure because you're talking i mean story as someone who does a lot of game mastering Story just sometimes just comes out as you try to create with what you have in front of you. RPGs, it's the players and their characters, but with the pieces that you have, that's how it comes out. So the hobby, like, it sounds like there's a really healthy subsection of gaming, like the hobby puzzlers who like these really heavy puzzle games. What, what, what potential do you see or like where do you see this hobby section, subsection, I would call it? of the market going next like five, 10 years with games like light in the mist, Emerald flame and some of the other ones you talked about coming out and getting a lot of traction on Kickstarter and in like the convention space. Yeah. Uh, oh, I was going to mention this before when we were talking about, um, so my goal is always to make something that's unique and mm -hmm. I'm going to want to make every game different from one another. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, companies out there that'll have like a series which also I think is very challenging to kind of make something feel new when you have a lot of games that have a similar format um, right. but my games are really long and take several sessions to get through because I kind of 
like to exhaust a subject before I'm done with it. So with, you know, like with the Emerald Flame, it was like, I kind of had this enormous document of like notes, a huge folder of reference photos and kind of trying to kind of squeeze everything that I could out of these things. And there were even a bunch of stuff that didn't end up making it into the final game that I ended up making as like puzzles for people to solve during the Kickstarter, just for fun and to like have something to engage with. Wow. A little teaser. Yeah. 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 Um, but I don't really want to put two things out there that feel like they're the same because I want to, make something new for people and always kind of be experimenting. And I think now like this community has grown so much in the past few years. And mm -hmm. for anybody who's listening, if you're interested in tabletop puzzle games and you're on Facebook, I highly recommend joining the puzzle people group because it's also like the nicest group of people um, but like you will just, you have no idea how many of these games are already out there by indie yeah. publishers. And so the biggest thing, uh, like we've also started a kind of a group, a little community with other creators of these games. And that's grown quite a bit as well, especially over the pandemic when a lot of people, you know, turned to making tabletop stuff either because they you know, had time off from their jobs and they suddenly were able to pursue something that they'd been wanting to do or escape room owners that had been closed down and were looking for other ways to create things for people to do. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, the term, the search term puzzle shot up a lot <laughs> in Google during the pandemic because people were just stuck at home. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of publishers doing some cool stuff. I mentioned on Circus Grounds um, and a lot of my, really all of my favorite games in the genre come from independent publishers and other, you know, like-minded people who are just trying to make something cool. And the biggest thing that we've struggled with is sort of audience education and trying to get people to know that we even exist. Uh, so being at PAX was like a really great step toward that. We also had a panel um, that Friday with Jack, my collaborator for Light in the Mist and a bunch of other cool designers and the folks from Room Escape Artist who are probably the, the best the best and best known blog on escape rooms, uh, at least in the US. So a lot of people came to that and it was nice to kind of engage uh, and have this conversation in front of a larger audience. And I've definitely see games in the genre evolving. Like a lot of the stuff that was out there before was really kind of limited to like escape room in a box type games or uh, like murder mysteries and not to knock either of them because they're both perfectly valid mediums, but I'm really happy to see people coming up with like a wider variety of themes and mm -hmm. a wider variety of directions. And like, there are some people who made a product called Solve Our Shirts, and they are just t-shirts with a bunch of puzzles on them. They are quite <laughs> bluefish games. Uh, they make they make two games that are uh, really fun, but they also make 
a thing called Hink's Gazette, which is basically like a puzzle and newspaper that you would get every month. Um, and it was like a really nice bite-sized kind of thing to solve. It took probably about 45 minutes or so. Um, and it was still really well done. And I'm like, you guys are amazing for making something, you know, creative and fun that uh, you can make every month and it's like still enjoyable and doesn't get boring. Um, so there's, you know, I think the space will continue to evolve. And I think the quality of a lot of products have been um, elevating as people make more stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I hope, I hope that there will be more sort of traditional board game players who like puzzles that might venture into the sort of indie genre more because that's the biggest mm -hmm. thing uh that we've struggled with is just like everybody knows exit games and unlock games and you know we're like oh what about you know post curious or society of curiosities and they're like what is that i've never heard of it um so yeah, just trying to kind of <laughs> get the word out to people who enjoy these things because I think there's actually a much wider audience for it. And there's a lot of great like introductory games for people to for people who are just trying to kind of get into start puzzling. And there are a ton of like really more challenging games and games that have really cool artifacts and all kinds of, you know, neat design effects um, that I think a lot of people will really enjoy but are just unaware of their existence. I want to ask Andrew a question here based on what you've been talking about. Andrew, as as designers, we're both trying to become designers. Andrew's a little farther along than I am. <laughs> what is your impression of all this? Like This was a whole section of the hobby that I was not even aware of until I saw Post Curious at PAX. So what is your impression of these games is like from a design standpoint and what they are bringing to the hobby market? I think it's wonderful. I think it's really interesting. It's a new place to explore. And I love all the things that Rita's saying here, the idea of these artifacts and physical things you can play with and manipulate. And then also maybe even become a souvenir later that reminds you the story that you went through. I also love this idea of, creating multiple sections of a story, almost like watching a TV show, but you're in, interacting with it and being a part of it. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people are craving in this world is, a, is something you can interact with and then also get the story out of it. So I think what she's doing is creating exactly the thing that people are looking for. And just like she said, it's the hardest part is getting the word out there that exists. I think she's also building a community though. And I think that's going to help get the word out there and also help people not just find her, but find other people that, that are doing the same kind of things, doing different kind of things, and just kind of sharing that kind of same love for puzzles and intrigue and different things like that. And it doesn't just have to be Agatha Christie murder mysteries. I totally get that too. And that's great. So uh, I think this is why we wanted to have you on the show is to talk about things like this and help you find some more of your audience looking for this. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I think another thing that uh, is a bit of a challenge too with board game audiences, like, people who are into escape rooms or are into puzzle games immediately are aware of and accept the fact that it's a game that you only play through once. Um, right. And with a lot of board game folks, they'll be like, oh, well, 
what's the replayability like? And I'm like, well, you're going to know the puzzle solution, so you're not going to want to play it again. You can give it to somebody else to enjoy as well. Um, for most of them, I, that's not it's not true for every game, of course. There are some games with destructible components, but um, but I think that what people might be undervaluing is the fact that it's a singular experience and it's meant to be a singular experience and not every game necessarily has to be replayable. Um, but even that aside, like how many games do we all have on our shelves that we've played once and then not touched or that are still sitting in their shrink wrap, you know? So I think that's like a kind of an artificial barrier that exists. And I'm hoping more people will also start to recognize the fact that that's not necessarily the most important thing when you're choosing a game to play is whether you're going to play it again later, but how much are you going to enjoy the experience of playing it now? I agree. But also I think part of the community of people here is sharing the experience with others, right? Like the whole reason you go to a movie with your friends is so you can talk about the movie after. In this case, you have the puzzle, you enjoy the puzzle, then you can maybe share that puzzle with someone else and you guys can have a conversation about that puzzle afterwards. And then they can share that with another person and then bring people into that group. It's the same thing with like jigsaw puzzles. People do the puzzle, right? They already know what the solution is, but they do the puzzle. Then they pack it back up and they give it to somebody else and maybe make a trade. So there, I think instead of thinking about it as how many times can I play the thing again, it's how much joy can I bring to any number of people that I share this with. Yeah, that's true. And I think, but I think the collaborative solving process, like if you're playing it with other people, which I usually recommend doing, um, is really a huge part of the fun because with games that have like a variety of different kind of puzzles, everyone else is going to have something to bring to the table. Like you're going to, you know, some person might look at a puzzle that's like maybe a little mathy or a little wordy and they might say, oh, I don't really get this. This is not for me. Uh, you know, I'm more of a visual person, but somebody else in the group is going to get it and they're Mm going to look at the visual puzzle and like not have any idea what to do with it. But the other person might look at it and be like, oh, I know, I see exactly what this is. Um, so it's great. Like it's, especially when I'm playtesting, it's so fun to see like the aha moments that people have when they combine their minds together. Yeah. (laughs) It's sort of like, and then also. Everybody gets a moment of feeling smart. Yes. The other thing is like, I get to be the superstar now. That's exactly. the moment. That's cool. Well, this has been, honestly, I could go on and on talking, asking questions about like, design, like how do you play test these games? How do you like, I want to go in more and more, but we don't want to keep you down here too long, Rita. But this has just been extremely fascinating to me. I loved your story hearing about Post Curious and all the insights you have about this community. But we're really deep down into the tabletop ocean right now. Let's go ahead and see what's on our radar. So here we are, deep in the trenches, deep in submersive world of escape room puzzles and fun and all sorts of stuff like this. Let's see what's in the future. What are we going to be playing shortly? So what's on the radar? Rita, what have you? What are you looking forward to playing in the next few days or next month or so? So I have just started playing this game called The Initiative, which is a collaborative mission game. I guess is the best okay. way to describe it. Um, it's kind of a legacy game, but I 
doesn't seem like it gets destroyed so far. So um, basically there's just like 14 missions that you go on to and apparently there's like bonus content after you're done with that. Um, but I am looking forward to playing the rest of it because we've played a few missions so far and the game has you know, evolved in interesting ways and I'm very curious to see where it goes from here. Excellent. Josh, what are you looking forward to playing? Well, right after this, I am hopping onto the AEG playtesting server, and I am playing a game of Tiny Towns. They are coming out with some new stuff for it, maybe, probably, can't give too much away, and they need me to playtest some stuff with some of their other playtesters. I've never played Tiny Towns before, not a very difficult game, but I'm excited because I've heard good things about it. It's a good little puzzle game that I'm really looking forward to that has spatial aspects to it and like some polyomino aspects to it, so I am very pumped to try out Tiny Towns. Andrew, what about yourself? So I I love playing on Board Game Arena Triad games I've never been able to get a chance to get them a hold on um, or just haven't purchased yet and it gives me a chance to try it out first. And so I'm looking forward to playing Gizmos, which just ended up on there. And I think four or five of my friends have told me I need to try it. So I'm finally going to get a chance to try it and don't have to actually buy it. So that'll be nice. I also noticed that it just came on Board Game Arena, and I'm very happy for that. Nice. <laughs> I own a copy, but uh, I play like every few weeks with uh, friends remotely, so it's nice to have that available now. That's great. So you recommend it. You think it's good? It's good, yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever played Potion Explosion. It's, yeah. I think it's made by the same folks who do that. But yeah, it's a fun little engine-building game. Nice. Well... Our oxygen is running low. We are getting into the point where we need to get to the surface. And as you probably some heard sometimes, my child is crying for something. He's, he's been going in and out of the podcast. You guys have probably heard that. Well, that's what happens when you're a dad. Well, let's shoot back up to the surface and let Rita go and we'll wrap up this voyage. Rita, it has been absolutely fabulous having you on. And hearing all about this community that I had no nothing, I knew no, really nothing about, and being educated on this subject. So if people want you know, more of Post Curious, or they want to hear more from you, Rita, or want to get into the puzzle aspects a little bit more, could you reiterate and maybe just what they, what can they do? What can they do? Uh, yeah, you can find my stuff at postcurious.com. I'm also actually soon launching a Kickstarter for a remastered version of the very first game I made, The Tale of Ord. Um, it's going to be called Threads of Fate. Nice. And you can find that on Ooh. Kickstarter or just go to the website, go to my website and click on it uh, from there. And follow, follow that page. It'll be probably live in a few months. And the other place you can go to, as I said before, is the Puzzle People Games and Mysteries group on Facebook. It's probably the most active community um, in this genre. And there are some discords as well, but I am not really good at being super active on Discord. However, if you really want to find more of these communities, feel free to send me an email and I can send you more details about it as well. It also looks like if you go to your, if you go to a website of Post Curious, you can sign up for a newsletter and get some free puzzles, so you can get a little taster. It looks like. Yeah, actually, uh, the newsletter is also great because I will usually highlight uh, other Kickstarters that are live or any new games that come out. So uh, send it out monthly. I don't like to spam people, 
and just send out some updates about what we're working on at PostCurious, as well as some other cool games that have been on our radar. That's great. Well, again, Rita, hope all the best for PostCurious. Can't wait to see what you guys do next. I am thoroughly fascinated with everything that the puzzle community has to offer. Well, listeners, it has been so good having Rita on. If you want to know more about her, feel free to follow all those things she mentioned. As always, my name is Josh. And I'm Andrew. And I'm Rita. And this has been the Tabletop Submarine.